Thanks for tuning into McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this podcast, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast should consult their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions we might make. You might hear us referring to a phone number to call as this podcast is taken from a live radio show. Instead of calling the phone number, you can get in touch with us on our website at McNamaraFinancial.com. McNamara on Money is heard on six continents and in more than 50 countries worldwide. Now sit back, relax and enjoy the show. And welcome to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara alongside Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Good morning, Alyssa. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Uh, all right. We have the 401k show is going to be the title of this show today. So we're going to do, I think, all things 401k. We'll get into some of the details, some of the recent legislation, obviously, and we'll talk big picture as well. Does that sound like a plan to you? Sounds like a good plan. I think it complements the show I did last week, which was talking about qualified accounts and non-qualified accounts and then qualified deductible and Roth accounts. So we can, I think it's nice to piggyback off of that and tie some of these concepts in. Yeah. So I think that'll be good. Yep. So sounds good. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and just ahead of time, a lot of this discussion will apply to 403Bs if that's what you have or a 457 plan. <laughs> there are There will be some slight differences, but because the 401k is the largest of all of the plans. We'll, we're going to title it the 401k show. We'll try to point out similarities and differences as we go here. All right, let's, I think, let's start simple. I think 2024, the limits have changed. I know we've mentioned that on the show before. We are up to $23,000 for 2024. If you are over 50 years old, the catch up remains at 7,500. So total of $30,500. That's up $500 from, from 2023. So. I think it's good to remind people of that obviously early in the year so they can pop in and double check their contributions. So it's not quite the very beginning of the year, but FYI, $23,000 contribution if people are paid every other week, which seems to be pretty common, biweekly yep. paychecks, that's eight hundred and eighty, roughly $884 per paycheck over 26 paychecks would get someone to the max contribution of 23000 for under age 50. So just yep. to give people a target if they're looking to max out or come close to it. It's about That's, 884 well, bucks a pay. Yeah, 903 now, right? So yeah, it's up, up $500, right? I think so. Yeah, 30, 20. I'm sorry. No, I, I Wait, did I just one. do the math wrong? No, I think I did the math wrong. Oh, right. So it's, I was doing it as you were talking. Oh, 23,000 <laughs> over 26 paychecks. Okay. Is yeah, I was, I'm sorry. Yeah. I was trying to do the age 50, uh, which is uh, okay. 11,173. Uh, anyway, right. so it's a lot of money. It's the kind of thing yeah. you should just check on um, early in the year, every year anyway. So, uh, all right. I don't think we need to spend too much uh, more time on that. Let's get into just briefly again. I know we've touched on this one. There are, there have been some recent legislation uh, relating to 401k Secure Act 2.0 passed late 2022 um, did make some changes. Not a lot going on this year in 2024 on the 401k side, right? A couple of the voluntary additions do come into play, but I think they're going to be fairly rare. And my guess is unless you're in with, with a with a significantly large company, you're probably not going to see those changes. 
changes coming in, um, matching on student loan payments, right? So you're, you know, going forward, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully all companies, or at least a good percentage of them will match 401k contract, will match student loan payments uh, in your 401k, right? Because a lot of folks, especially younger ones who come out to school with a bunch of um, money in student loans, it's, it's generally, if they talk to someone like us, you would recommend at least some portion of your income uh, go to paying down those loans. And uh, this new provision allows uh, employers to reward those payments uh, with a matching 401k. Again, I think it's it's voluntary. It is not. Yeah. There's I think I, I saw 25 percent ish uh, of larger corporations planning to add that in 2024. So if you use smaller corporations, I'm going to guess it's a fairly small percentage of the population. Yeah, so. it'll be interesting to see how many companies take advantage of that. I, the ones that are trying hard to recruit young people right out of school, those are going to be the ones that jump into offering it, enhancing their employee benefit packages for recruiting. Yeah. I would imagine that's rec- and especially recruiting young people right out of college, which would be the, the people that more common to have student loan debt right. of a substantial and- amount anyway. Yeah, I would assume you you would see that with mostly larger companies too, because it's administratively yep. it's going to be difficult, and you probably want to if it's yeah. just your if your if I your payroll person that, yeah. is Justin McNamara, and they're saying, yeah. oh yeah, I'll, I'll remember how to do that once every three years when I do it. But bigger companies who have the resources and full time folks doing that probably yeah. are more apt to add it. Fingers crossed. If you're in that situation and have it, that's great. But yeah. more than likely, most of you haven't seen that one out there just yet. And hopefully, yeah. more in the future. Yeah. There's also some. There's also some some savings plan 401k as a uh, an emergency savings which is coming into coming in this year in 2024. Again, that's another voluntary one where you can get at some money without without taxes or penalties and be able to repay it. I won't spend a lot of time there. It's fairly small dollars, but that is again just look for that if it's an option. But again, I don't think very widely adopted at this point. And I have again, to read up. I have to read up on that one. I for I forgot about that one. Yeah, we're they, always they enhance the provision. There's always been early, like hardship withdrawals in 401ks, right? But they must have just enhanced it. I have to read up on that one again. There's a de- I think there's a, there's a couple that there's a dedicated emergency account, which I think is up to a thousand dollars, which you can take out. I think it's just I think it's tax free and be able to repay oh, it. Okay. Us us financial advisors are constantly telling our, our clients to have an emergency fund. So hopefully hopefully yeah. you won't need it and hopefully you have your own emergency fund. But mm-hmm. for those of you out there who get cut in an emergency for relatively smaller dollars, there is going to be a 401k provision and hopefully in the future, more and more plans that allow you to get your hands on a few bucks without having to pay substantial. Again, some 401ks don't even allow for distributions, right? So they're trying to uh, make some changes in that regard where you can get at some money in an emergency without too much of a penalty. On one hand, it's nice to have that and make that available. And on the other hand, it's sad that it's necessary. Yeah. But I remember here, I haven't heard statistics recently, but I remember hearing not all that long ago that the average American didn't even have 700 bucks in a savings account for an emergency or something like that. Right. It's too bad if I, if more people had were good about having an emergency savings account, then this wouldn't be necessary. But but it's also great to add to your 401k and then people right. maybe do that too much and then they don't have as much in savings. And it's also human nature. Like if I don't put it in my 401k and if I put it in my bank account, I can see it and then I'm tempted to spend it. So that could be a reason that people don't have a lot in savings because they see it there and they 
and they spend it. That's that's right. human nature. And it takes discipline to not do that. But I think part of this, I think there's a probably a, a pretty substantial overlap now between the people who use 401k and the people who can afford to maintain a savings account. But part of this legislation yeah. was also trying to bring the 401k plan down into that they're streamlining a lower income uh, market. Yeah. For, yeah. 401ks in general, right. They're mm-hmm. trying to, they're trying to bring that into more and more folks. And if that's the case, if that's successful, mm-hmm. then you probably will have more and more folks who are not used to maintaining that emergency fund. So I think it probably makes sense. Yeah. Again, we're in a transition phase here and hopefully five years from now, this is all well understood and works, works out well. But yeah. for now we're still, we're moving in the right direction. Let's put it yeah. that way. Good to encourage lower income yeah. Americans to save in a 401k. Yeah. yeah fair yeah. point. Uh, to that point, there are a few things happening in 2025. Uh, I'll just mention them quickly. The Roth, the, there's going to be Roth matching if you make over $145,000. Higher catch-up provisions for age, I think, 60 to 63. Again, that's 20, that hits 2025. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I have that right. And then auto enrollment in 2025, which again, to your point about folks not taking advantage of 401ks, even when they're available. So auto enrollment is going to be mandated in 2025? I think... Read this. Yeah. I think there, or may, maybe it's incentivized. I know that, um, or maybe it's all new plans have to come with auto enrollment. I know there's an there's a uh, a significant auto enrollment change. Oh yeah, coming in here it is. I think maybe Secure 2.0 requires all plans started after December 29th of 2022 to automatically enroll participants at a savings rate of between three percent and ten percent unless they opt out. That's right. Yeah. So you have to yeah, starting in 2025. Out. Okay. So it's for pl- yeah. it's mandated for plans that started after basically 2023 or later. Older plans will be grandfathered in, but may want to take right. advantage of it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I assume those will, you'll probably a lot of plans are you can add auto enrollment now if you want to. And I think more and more companies are just because it makes sense. Right. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think that's a great feature. Yeah. Many people for lack of. I don't know, knowledge or lack of desire to part with some of their pay might drag their feet on getting enrolled in a 401k. But if it's just auto at a certain point in time, maybe not at the very beginning of employment, maybe there's a waiting period, but then it's just out of your paycheck, out of sight, out of mind. And yeah. I think that's a great feature. All right. What else? All right. I think that's probably it, it for rules and regulations. What do you think? Want to get into some of the strategy investment stuff or yeah, any bigger good. picture thoughts? All right. I just have some big picture thoughts about what's great about 401ks, but we can save that to the second half of the show if you yeah. want to do that. Okay. All right. All right. I just, so again, I'm, I'm going to talk about investment options. This is going to be mostly anecdotal. I don't, there's not a lot of research that might, that would be specific to a radio conversation about how 401ks work. So this is just going to be based on our experience over the last, oh gosh, is it going to be a lot of years that I have to say this over the last 20, 20 plus years now yeah. for, for both of us, just having reviewed 401ks, I, we, we probably look at who knows hun- hundreds a year if we're counting 401ks that we are re-reviewing for clients. Mm-hmm. I think my observations now of the 401k industry is that it's pretty good. I rarely do I run into a 401k where I am unhappy with what the what the investment options are, right? The, the cost structure is maybe a different story and much, much harder to dig into the details on. But my, my opinion here is that most 401ks now have a relatively good lineup of investments. It's, I would say it's probably limited in scope, right? I don't see a lot of 401ks anymore that have a hundred options just because you get analysis paralysis. If you have, if you have to look through all that many options, it's probably going to be a a net negative. Yeah. Uh, And so you tend to have, maybe it's 15 or 20, 
funds, they're probably relatively low cost anyway. You tend not to see any super expensive funds, at least relative to other options out there. And you tend to see all of the major asset classes hit, right? You'll have your large cap stocks and your small cap stocks and your investment grade bonds. Pretty much anything that would be in the vast majority of investment portfolios will be represented. And uh, you'll also have an age-based option, right? A retirement-ready portfolio, the 2025 fund or the 2045 fund. And I would say that that pretty much covers the, the vast majority of 401ks, right? The old days of the late 90s 401k, where you had 10 technology funds of, uh, with mm-hmm. different names and there are all over. And I think a lot of it's just driven. There's been, there's been legislation as we've gone along here. The 401k providers, they have their fiduciary responsibility and there are trustees of a 401k and they are held liable if the 401k is found lacking in any way. As that's gone through, you just get the, the, the investment options have been pushed into more and more, I guess, more and more reasonable choices, which again, it's been a great thing, right? If you look at the change from when we came into the business 20 plus years ago until now, I think the 401k space is in a lot better place. Oh, yeah. I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. And you said analysis paralysis. And that's there's actually been, I think, a fair amount of research regarding what's the optimum number of choices that people have, not just for 401k investment selection, but just in life. Like Like picking out jams. Yeah, (laughs) there's research for that, right? Like too many choices is not necessarily a good thing. People want people want choice, but they don't want too many choice because it can be overwhelming. So I don't know. Last time I read up on that, it was, I don't know, eight to 12 choices or something was like the optimum amount. If you think about if that's again, it's been a little while since I read up on that. I didn't think to do that before today's show, but if that's still the case, so something like a dozen choices, probably coincidentally, most 401ks I look at, with the yeah. exception of a whole bunch of different target date funds, which are all the same, just with different years, with yep. the exception of that lineup, there's probably about a dozen, maybe 15 choices, investment choices in most 401ks. Right. Uh, and then there could be like 12 or so just target date funds. But to me, that's just one choice. Are you doing a target date fund or are you picking from these other 12? So I, I think that I don't know if that's part of it. You mentioned 401k providers having to be fiduciaries and having some liability there and offering products that are reasonable and suitable for people. And certainly that's part of it too. But also I just, I think that I agree with you that they have 401ks in terms of the investment options available have evolved over the last couple of decades in a very good way. Skinnying down choices, but giving people enough choices. And most 401ks I see have very, a very diverse lineup, one or a couple of small cap funds, maybe a yeah. cap fund or two, few large cap funds, some international funds, few bond funds, and that's it. And that's really all that that people probably need as long as the choices are pretty good good and low cost and all that. Yeah, I think it's all been good change. Yeah. I think, yeah, n- not coincidentally, if you take a look at, if you're looking at an asset allocation, which are those those pretty pies that we always show you in our business, most of those, you can have you can have an asset allocation strategy with, with as many slices as you want. But on average, you'll see somewhere between eight and 12 of them, right? There just aren't that mm-hmm. many investments that are, that would be deemed necessary by, by someone like us, right? Not every, not every 401k needs to have a convertible bonds position, right? Convertible bonds is maybe it's a great investment at certain times and maybe it's fine over the long term, but it's just not a very large market. And and so you probably don't have a convertible bond fund in your 401k. And that's probably just fine. You certainly do need major asset classes, the ones that that, that are in the vast majority of, of people's portfolios. And I think it's, again, I, I think it's 
it's all worked out pretty well. I will speak the cost side of it. You you do see more and more index funds in 401ks, which I think is, I'll say, is a good thing. It's especially when you are lim- when you're limiting the number of choices right if the i don't know who would do the research on on the number of the optimal number of choices in any given in any given selection set but if you are limiting it to let's just say 15 then you get into a you have to make a decision about all right what am i 15 if i'm going to put in 15 investments and i need to have a small cap fund and a mid cap fund do i want to go ahead and choose an actively managed small cap or mid-cap fund, maybe I do, but maybe I don't because then the trustee or whoever's making the decision about, all right, this is I, this is our fund lineup, then they're going to have to be monitoring on an ongoing basis. They have to mm-hmm. make changes. And a lot of times it's just easier to say, all right, oh, okay. well, we're probably yeah. only going to have one of these options, maybe two. If it's one, you probably want to default to the small cat, to the index fund, because that's the, that's where people are going to just get their average return. And they'll, they, you'll never have a, a below average result, at least not for any significant period of time. And you'll probably G, you'll be just fine. Whereas if you choose an aggressive small cap fund, there could be, there could be times when your participants are looking at you and saying, Hey, this is, this is my only small cap option. And it's in the 99th percentile for the last five years. What what gives and then you have to change it, et cetera, et cetera. So mm. I, I think that's, yeah, that's how you see those decisions being made is because now that there's a standard that sort of trustees are held to, they need to make those decisions in, in a long-term context. And not that they're trying to avoid work necessarily, but you don't want to have to be switching funds in and out all the time because people get those. Yeah. I don't know if you ever, yep. I'm, sure, you, I'm sure you've seen those notifications, yep. right? And if people are like, does this apply to me? Right. Oh, you're replacing this set of funds with that of the funds and it's confusing and people it's just another point of of confusion for folks and in, in what's already a frankly a fairly confusing world all right what other what other observations let's do talk I about let's yeah. talk about target date funds because okay. those are i don't know how long they've been around actually but they have seemed to certainly have grown in popularity yeah. obviously in, inside of 401ks and the like and I don't know. So I guess just general thoughts, I yep. I guess to explain what they are, if people don't know what they are. So they're called target date funds, sometimes called what target retire funds. There's a few names for them. Yeah. Can you think of another name anyway? No, they're, they're the funds that, that have a date in them. They're, right. they're just to simplify, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. A year. A yeah, year. They'll, they'll have uh, 2025 or 2035. Generally speaking, yeah. I think all of them are in five year increments. Yeah. And they are designed specifically just to, well, I guess to, for a retire date or close to a retirement date. And that comes with its pros and cons, right? Yeah. So for those people that don't know how they work, basically it's like a, it's a mutual fund that has underlying holdings and the further out the year of that target date. So if it's like a target date, 2060 fund. So the the theory is that you would pick a retirement or a target date fund that lined up with maybe when your retirement is hard, hard to know when you're younger, but most people would pick something that lined up with like their age 60 or 65 or something in that range. And so the farther out the, the date on that fund, the farther out it is, the more aggressive the fund is going to be. And then as you start to get within probably 15, 10, five years of that date, the fund is changed. The underlying investments are changed and tweaked and the allocations are tweaked so that it gets more conservative as you approach that date. So it's a great concept because that's what 
asset most asset managers would financial advisors would do with their clients money as you start to approach retirement you start taking opportunities with some or all of their money or whatever to lower risk and get more conservative as they approach that date so the concept is great i think yeah it seems like i've looked at a whole bunch of these it seems like any date that like right now like a 2055 and a 2060 and a 2065 fund are probably like all exactly the same i have oh i even did i did the research yeah oh you did yeah (laughs) They're probably all exactly the same until probably until you get like right now, what is it? 2024. So probably like the 2035 and 2040 funds. That's probably like when it starts to change, right? Maybe yeah. the 2040 fund is a little different. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They start 45. to go down the glide path. So you start, it's essentially just, if you take a person, if you take the 2065 fund, right, we'll call them, they were born in 2000 and it's the, you essentially just manage a portfolio for the average person hmm. who is going to retire in the year 2065 and you build a portfolio based on that again, which is great for a lot of people because it's going to fit a lot of people really well. It doesn't always fit. I think we're probably going to have to a little bit more detail in who it works for and doesn't after the break. And I do have Mm -hmm. some detail on that as well. I can't believe we've already gone through almost uh, almost half the show. All right. Uh, right. We can continue that after the break because I do want to spend a little bit more time on those. I think they're great. We can talk about pros and cons and who they're appropriate for, which I think is the vast majority and maybe who they're not and when people should think about doing something different. But we've got like about a minute before the break. What else are we going to get into just to give people a little bit of preview? Um, I think I, I want to talk a little bit more about strategy and our, our recommendations and how we handle it right now using retirement or age-based funds. If you're going to build your own strategy, how you might want to go about that with regard to your individual options. We'll talk about, I guess maybe we can just get generic about 401ks and maybe some big picture stuff and get into your various savings options with, with traditional tax, tax deferred and Roth options. And I think yeah. we could get into costs as well, though. It might be a pretty brief yep. conversation because it's just really hard to find that information and all the plans are created differently and all that stuff. We could touch on that a little bit after the break, but I just wanted to give information. We have a podcast. We turn all of our shows into a podcast. So if you miss any of our shows or want to listen to some past shows on your free time, you can check out McNamara on money on your podcast app. You can find out more about us at McNamaraFinancial.com or McNamara of the Merrimack.com. You're listening to McNamara on Money. Host today, Justin McNamara, my brother <laughs> and business partner, and I'm his uh, wing person, Alyssa McNamara Reed. And we're just taking a quick break and we'll be right back. This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. And welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara alongside Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Good morning, Alyssa. Good morning. I'm glad you're here and you're feeling better. And also you're not skiing and leaving me in the lurch to do the show alone. (laughs) I, you know what? I did not check in on you and see what your plans were uh, for last weekend. And then I was surprised to learn because I was skiing and didn't hear it that you did it uh, solo. So I'm surprised and impressed, Alyssa, because I don't know. I actually... I was, uh, someday I might have to do that myself, but my goal is to not. <laughs> it's like anything, like once you do it once, it's not a, and you survived, it's yeah. not a big deal. I'm sure it'll yeah. happen again. It's just, it's hard to, it's, 
It's just hard I, to plan every week and get people to give up an hour on a Saturday morning. But yeah. All right. Anyway. So we were talking, this is the 401k show. We've gone over some of the details, the savings amounts. Again, 2024, we're up to 23,000 for under 50, 30,500 for over 50. We talked a bit about the details and options. We were before the break chatting about the retirement or the age-based portfolio, retirement portfolios that are available. I would say in almost all 401ks right now, I'm surprised to see when there's not a 401k that doesn't have a, a retirement date. And I think, okay. I don't know if we had a chance to say that we're generally very much in favor of them, right? I'll, we'll do a little bit of pros and cons. I think certainly they're a much better option than the old default option, right? The old, I remember the old days of having to choose our 401k default option. And I would choose a balanced fund because these, these funds didn't exist. But now you're in a much better place where if someone doesn't know what to do and they see, oh, I'm going to retire around 2065, I'll choose that fund. It's a much better than just a random set of guesses or or just picking the money market fund option, which is what a lot of old 401k. Oh are. my gosh. I was just talking to someone about that recently about how the old default was just cash. And I can remember meeting people that yeah. had been like yeah. had somewhat sizable dollars in their 401k in cash for like almost a decade. It's It was crazy. So thank goodness that default is now different. <laughs> yeah. If cash was had a decent yield in that period of time, sure. Yeah. But generally yeah. relative to what other things do, it, it doesn't. <laughs> but... Yeah, yeah. I, I have an example here, which I'll get to in a minute about e- even for an incorrect air quotes, incorrect choice. If you're let's just say you choose the retirement option and maybe you didn't need to be conservative because whatever you had your retirement date wrong or your particular risk profile was maybe a bit more aggressive than average. And I'm going to throw some numbers out and say how much money you could have lost. But yeah, that's compounded by a mile if you were just in a money market fund yeah. versus, versus, let's say, an equity portfolio, if that's where you yeah. if that's where you should have been. Just as you were mentioning, just to give folks an, an example of how the retirement funds work, I did pull up some research on some of them. I just used the three largest, right? So the three largest retirement portfolio sets are the American funds, Fidelity and Vanguard. That's alphabetical order. I think it's actually Vanguard, American funds, Fidelity, if you go buy assets. So I For just dollars grab- into the target date set of funds, you mean? Into okay. the target, yeah, yeah, that's okay. the, the, yeah. They're like the retirement series is probably what it, what it would be it'd be called in each case. So I have those. I pulled out the data. I just did twenty twenty five, twenty thirty five, twenty forty five, and then twenty sixty five. Because again, to your point earlier, there's not a lot of change once you, you know twenty forty five is twenty one years from now, which is a fairly long time, and and certainly more than enough time. Again, not guaranteed, but uh, for equity markets to recover. So you just tend to get to a point where they're mostly aggressive. But I just wanted. To to give you just to give you an example of what your experience might be so the 2025 fund uh, which is obviously geared for folks who would retire next year you're close to a 50-50 mixture of stocks mm-hmm. and bonds right so american funds is 49 45 and then 6% in cash right fidelity is 53% stocks vanguard is 53% stocks you're, yeah you mature in that 50-50 range again there will be slight differences in all of them, uh, but you're going to see fairly similar asset, asset allocations. allocations. Because, yeah, yeah. It, it's all based yeah. on research, right? Yeah. And, and what, what Fidelity or Vanguard or American Funds is using may vary a bit here and there with their longer term projections about equity returns and, and interest rates, but they're not going to vary so widely that you're going to get American Funds has has 25% of their money in stocks and Fidelity has 75, right? You're going to get slight differences. You do get 
some differences, maybe the underlying asset allocation, right? So just right now, I'll use Fidelity and Vanguard as a comp, both 53%. Uh, in equities and stocks of that fidelity has 26 internationally and vanguard has 21 american funds has 14 right so there's some fairly yeah their fidelity and american funds are actively managed so you would expect them to have some value judgment going on mm. but again you get similar uh, across the board asset allocations you probably get fairly similar rate of return profiles or at least expected rate of return profiles right yeah who wins in any given five-year period is is relatively uncertain if you're especially when you're being active but they should be in the same ballpark yeah all right and are the 2020 funds do they get more conservative as the date has passed or do they they phase those out and just come i think they the... just turn into the retirement income i don't think there's still a 20 15, like a 15. fund, oh, which, okay, although yeah. you know what, I don't, that. they don't, I could look it up. Um, not for probably not for new money, like offer, but maybe hey, I wonder what they do with money, just balances yeah. that are hanging in that fund for people that didn't necessarily retire, but had selected that portfolio. So I yeah, would imagine I lo- the, the very near term asset allocation for the 2020 and the 2025 fund are probably almost exactly the same. Just like the 2055 to the 2065 funds are probably the same, but it's the things in the middle that are going to have some differences. Yeah. You know what? They still do have an American funds target date retirement 2015 fund. Yeah, maybe they just hang around for... A while. At some point in time, they might, you know what? How long have target date funds even been around? I wonder if they even have a process yeah. for what to do with balances <laughs> in, in funds that have long, where have long yeah. since, I don't know, matured. That's probably not the right word, but where those dates have long since passed. But yeah, in the American funds portfolio, again, I'm just using them as an example, not a recommendation. Yeah, they have, let's see, they have US stocks. Yeah, their combined stock market exposure is. 40% and then 60% bonds. So it does appear that they okay. stick around and they continue down the glide path. Oh, you know, interesting. So we did some research. I don't think you can choose them, but they must just hang around when they're, if you've opted into it. And maybe they sunset them in your 401k. I don't exactly know how that's all going to work. But Yeah. But theoretically, yeah. the people that have chosen the 2015 and the 2025, they're getting older. They might be in their 70s. So it yeah. would make sense. That would continue to get more conservative. And it I would imagine at some point in time, they combine those assets with, the, with another fund i don't know i don't know but yeah a lot yeah there's a retirement income fund that maybe they assume some of them will just mature into an income fund but yeah so uh but again so they i guess some do continue down the glide path you'd have to check individually for your own 401k um when you're doing your due diligence but all right let me just yeah let me jump back in here i'm just going to do a few of these numbers right so at 2035 right if 2025 is about a 50 50 portfolio 2035 is about 70 30 right american funds 68 okay. percent stocks fidelity 72 vanguard 69 percent stocks you you get certainly if you're okay. yeah 10 years to retirement 70 percent stocks is i think probably in the is again as you would expect in the ballpark of an average maybe 55 year old where they're on the aggressive side, certainly more equities than fixed income, but not quite as aggressive as as maybe they were in their 20s, 30s, 40s. The maturity, it, you, as you get up to 2045, I, I did skip. I skipped the the even years. At 2045 is really when you level off and none of them get particularly aggressive, but American funds, 85%, Vanguard about 85, and then Fidelity's about 90% stocks mm-hmm. and 2045. So fairly aggressive, maybe in that moderately aggressive range. And then if you step out to 2065, it looks like only Vanguard is the one that even changes the portfolio. 
portfolio. Mm. Uh, Vanguard is up to 88% equities, whereas the 20, it looks like the 2045 and the 2065 for Fidelity and American funds are essentially identical. So there really isn't much change once you're at 20 plus, 20 plus years. At least this not a all- lot. All interesting, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. But the great, but I was just thinking as you're talking about getting into all this detail, the great thing about these for most people is that they don't have to worry about all this detail, right? They, right. if they don't want to know it, they, their mind, some people will listen to that and, and their heads will start spinning and they'll get stressed and overwhelmed. But the great thing about target date funds is that you don't have to worry about it. They're set up to be pretty simple. You pick one that lines up with probably like your mid sixties and then yeah. you don't have to think about it again. Most people, if you're picking an appropriate one based on age and, and retirement plans, date of retirement, then select one that's hopefully appropriate. And then you, you don't have to worry about it again. And maybe unless you switch plans or roll the funds or whatever. But I think it's just great that they're very simple, easy to understand. People don't really, you don't have to worry about like switching in and out, changing things most likely. Yeah. But I think they're great, especially for smaller balances inside of 401ks. I, for my clients that I help with 401k allocations indirectly help them give them advice. I, it's not for smaller accounts or I got a new job. I'm getting into my 401k. These are great, great choices. As dollars get larger, I sometimes recommend doing something a little bit different, more diversified, but I think they're great for many people in many situations. And, and I, I'm, yeah, it's good that they're available. Yeah, I, just briefly on the downside, no, I think we'll talk a little bit about recommendations here in a few minutes and, and how we use them. And we do regularly recommend them for clients. The, the only real downside is just, I would say, probably missing on you not being an average risk for that particular fund, right? I and mean, just because you know they're, they're designed to be average, which means they're appropriate for a lot of folks, but they're definitionally maybe not appropriate for some folks as well, because they're going to be people who are outliers on either side. Obviously, on the on the risk side, and if you're worried about volatility, that might be that your 2045 fund, which is fairly aggressive, may be too volatile for you. The the fairly conservative, I don't know how old is there someone. You know, the fairly conservative 40 year old or whatever. Something. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So that, again, that's one of the downsides. The other downside mm-hmm. is on as you go start to go down the glide path, right? Not everyone ends up retiring at 65. There are certainly some folks who may want to be more aggressive into their 50s. And certainly if you're not planning, right, if you're not planning to retire and or you're not planning to take distributions, right? So for a lot of folks, required distributions are going to be 75 now. If you have other assets, yep. you, you may not be touching your 401k balance until 75. And yep. you may end up riding down the glide path a little bit bit early and costing yourself some money on the upside, right? If you're just a Mm. quick, simple math, right? If if you had a $500,000 balance in your last last 10 years of retirement and you were adding $20,000 a year, at 5%, you end up with $1,066,000, but at 7%, you end up at $1.26 million. So it's a Mm. a few hundred thousand dollars by earning a few extra percent, which is certainly in the realm of possibility if start to get more conservative earlier. And again, that's not, there's certainly much, much worse. <laughs> like the, you know, the 15, 20 years ago, 401k problems that you had were, mm. were substantially larger than, oh, I missed out on a percent or two in return because I wasn't in, in exactly the right diversified low cost portfolio. It will take that problem relative to the old ones, but, but still the kind of thing where you want to make sure it works for you if you're Certainly, if you're the kind of person who's spending time yeah. doing planning and assessing their risk tolerance and being being more proactive about the process, right? Yeah, yeah. 
should we move on to costs inside of 401ks, which I mentioned off air was yeah. is probably going to be a short conversation because I don't actually yeah, have a yeah. good, not all 401ks are created equal. They're, the employer works with the 401k provider, makes certain decisions, structures it a certain way, and the cost can be dependent on the dollar amount of the assets in the plan and the number of employees and the and what's offered in the plan and the funds offered in the plan. Like they, they're yeah. not all 401ks are created equal by any stretch. And then there's different 401k providers that are pricing things differently. And it's really, it's hard. No, And one of the things that frustrates me about our industry is that yep. it's just most people have no idea what their costs are to be an investor, like anywhere, right. in any account, not just 401k, but like in any account. And I actually found it's a common misconception that people think they're not paying to be an investor because they don't because they don't see it. Yeah. And yeah. and we're we make an effort to be very transparent with cost. Our management fee is actually a deduction from our clients' accounts on a quarterly basis and it shows as a transaction. So it's right. that is very transparent. But fund costs to own mutual funds and costs inside of 401ks. If it's not a deduction from your account and if it doesn't show an activity. It's not transparent and no and very few slash nobody is reading the the annual reports and the prospectuses that that come in the mail, right? With yep. all the, the fine print. Yep. And so it's just very hard to know what costs are. And that is frustrating about our industry in general. And Agreed. one of the what somewhat new requirement for financial advisors that are rolling money or transferring money from one place to another. We have these new in the last, what, 18 months or something, what we call what are called suitability requirements, where we have to the basis of it is that the government wants to make sure that financial professionals are having appropriate conversations with clients about their choices when it comes to where their money is invested and tax considerations and investment considerations and cost considerations and service and all this stuff. And anyway, we have all this kind of new paperwork in our world where when we roll or transfer money for clients, we have to document all these things. And of course, this is all comes from a great place, right? That most regulations come from a great place. (laughs) The the thinking is sound that we want finance. We want people to understand their choices. We want them to have all the information to make a decision that is in their best interest or that they think is best for them, of course. Right. So that's of course. But one of the one of the things that we're supposed to do as professionals is cost compare. Mr. and Mrs. Client, if you would like to roll your funds out of this 401k, for example, and have us manage it for you, here's all the things you should consider. And one of them should be any cost differentials. But it's like almost impossible for us to do that. So we know what the cost will be and we can be very clear about what the cost will be to work with us. What we don't know is what costs are inside of 401ks because the information is just not easily and readily available. Um and so you mean you, our 13 page 401k yeah, cost disclosure is, I know. is it enough and, for you? And we're even in we like the 401k that we even have in our own business. Yeah. I have no idea what it's costing, like what my investor costs are. I have no idea how much the funds are charging. I don't know what the cost for the plan itself is. I don't even know if I'm paying it or if our employer, if us as the employer is paying it. I don't <laughs> and it's just, it's, we've been, we've been venting about it for what, a, a couple of years as this legislation came into our world. And like I said, it does come from a good place. Yeah. And of course, people should have all the information in order to make a good decision, but it's very hard. So that was a long winded, no one yeah. has any idea what it costs them to have a 
401k. Some of them are fee-based where there is a fee deduction and they're managed accounts. Some of them are not. Some of them, it's just there's administrative fees and fund expenses, and but that can be all over the map. And it's just... And actually, off air, Justin sent me the, what was it called? The plan participant fee disclosure. Is that what it was? Yeah. And it's, did you say it was 13 pages or 27 pages? It's 13 pages. The company version was 27 pages. The participant version is 13 pages. I'm just going to point out, we're not going to go through the whole thing, but part two, (laughs) which is like the second page, which you seem maybe, let's get down to brass tacks. Yeah. There is a number there, but it's, oh, and I'll just, why don't we read it? Over the previous 12 months, we paid 5,000. $445.89 in plan expenses, uh, which is uh, super helpful if maybe you're the business, but it doesn't really help you as a participant oh. if you don't know what percentage of that you're paying, right? Uh. So, you, you know, if you were 100% of the 401k, you'd say, oh, that's, you know, I paid $5,000 in expenses. Uh, whereas if you are 5% of that 401k, then you paid next to nothing in fees. It's just, it's a really silly system. Yeah. As if you're, you know, what are you going to go to your plan administrator and say, hey, could you just do some quick math and let me know what my pro rata share of $5,500 is based on everyone else's plan balance. And one of the, in this document right here on page two is like a, an annual percentage fee, like a fee in terms of a percentage and it's based, but the, it's like a graduated scale. A reverse yeah. reverse graduated scale, right? It gets cheaper as the plan assets yeah. get larger, but it's based on not your balance, the plan balance. Yeah. So, and I don't know, is there anywhere in here that tells us what the plan balance is? And it's not like you're going to be asking all your coworkers how much money they have in their 401k to figure <laughs> out your plan balance. So yeah, you just gotta guess. Oh, Mike, Mike's probably doing pretty well, right? Yeah. He's got to have a bunch of money in there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 1 million to 3 million, 3 million to 4 million. I have no idea. And everything there in between and above and below. So it's frustrating. I don't know. Is it good news that most people are oblivious to what it costs them? I feel like that can be good news and bad news, right? It's uh, yeah, (laughs) Um, probably depending on how you look at that. Yeah, that's what we'll just uh-huh. we'll leave it at that. I don't I can't say. Yeah, pro- probably not great that we have no idea and that it's so hard to it would be great if it wasn't maybe doesn't need to be in front of your face all the time. But yeah. if you wanted to be able to find the information, it would be good if you actually could. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it would be great, great for us to satisfy our suitability requirements right. and actually have right. this information. Yeah. But well, and I think there's like some there's some document that people can request from their plan administrator or HR. It's there's like a number. I forget what it's even called and, but nobody ever knows what it is or how to get it. And we never get it. And so anyway, it does cost you to be an investor in your 401k. And unfortunately you probably have no idea how much that is. And so that's tough for us. Yeah. Um, stuff. Anyway, I think we only have, uh, yeah, we're running on a oh, show pretty quick here. Oh, okay. Yeah, I do want to, if we could just briefly, I want to go over how we make recommendations inside of 401ks, just given the restrictions that exist in that universe, right? As we mentioned, you're generally working with a, a list of, a limited list of investments. And so, you know, you know best practices, I think, uh, A, you want to stay diversified. I think to, to really go with the big picture, uh, I would try to design an investment strategy. And this is how I work that you wouldn't need to touch for, say, five years, right? So that's how I would look at building your 401k allocation because, you again, you're working with a limited investment menu and you don't control any future changes, right? So if you're if you look at your 401k and there's, a, there's two large cap funds and one's pretty good and it's an actively managed fund and the other one is the S&P 500 index fund, we probably would default to the S&P 500 index fund most of the time because you don't 
don't, you know, it's hard to predict what's going to happen in the future mm. with regard to the performance of an underlying fund. And that plus, you don't know what changes are going to come down the line, right? You may have, let's just, we'll use, oh, there's a Vanguard actively managed fund or the S&P 500 index. Maybe that's a great fund. Maybe it's going to do really well over the next 10 years. And maybe if it has some periods of underperformance, which most actively managed funds do, maybe you're going to stick with it and ride it out and it'll be worth it. So that's in the realm of possibility. Unfortunately, if if the trustees of your plan decide that they don't, they no longer mm-hmm. want that fund in, they can remove it out from under you and you get knocked into a new plan, into a new fund. And maybe you wrote, you were in there for the underperformance and then you missed the subsequent outperformance if indeed it happened. So you're, mm-hmm. you, the lack of control, I think, leads you to want to be more conservative with regard to your asset allocation, right? You want to be, you want to be risk appropriate, obviously. You want to be diversified and you want to probably take as many future risks off the table as well, right? Lean towards lower costs, lean towards index funds probably, and make sure you stay diversified. And again, plan for no changes. That doesn't mean you don't look at it. You certainly should review it regularly. But uh, we we try to design strategies that are fairly low maintenance because you just, you don't, you lack the control and frankly, you lack other options where if you're if you're in a more active strategy oh hey i want to sell this and i want to go buy that there's a decent chance that what whatever you want to buy or whatever the whatever asset class or whatever investment you decide is what you want to get into now it may not be available in your 401k anyway and so i would just say simplify low cost diversified and that's probably the way to go with 401ks which can a lot of times it works in in IRAs and investments outside of 401ks, but I think especially inside of 401k with the restrictions. Yep. We've got two minutes. I would just, my like closing comments would probably just be, sometimes I get the question from people, is the four, is a 401k the best place for me to save money? Should I be doing something different? Should I be putting my money elsewhere? Of course, that's a converse. Yeah, that, that answer is tailored to the specific person. But I think in general, a 401k is a great place to save money, tax deductions for traditional contributions, some 401ks offer the ability for Roth contributions. And if that's the case, there's no income restrictions for people to put money into Roth 401ks, which is different from Roth IRAs. Also, just the convenience, right? Payroll deductions, set it and forget it. It comes out of my paycheck. I never see the money. People are less likely to make a change. It's, it's easier. That the, You sound it, like the lawyer at the end of a, um, at the end of a commercial right now. I do? <laughs> yeah. You're just getting it all in. Like, oh, yeah. It's like, you're just point, bullet point. I've only got a minute. Did I steal your, <laughs> did I steal your bullet points? You're no, jealous. not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Just, uh, I'm sorry, I cut in there. You were just flying through this. Stuff. It, was great. it was really good. All right, I'm done. Uh, you, have a, you can have a career in doing voiceover work. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's let's wrap it up. Again, if you have any questions for us, you can reach out. So we're available McNamaraFinancial.com or McNamaraOfTheMerrimack.com if you're up in my neck of the woods. If you have questions and you want to reach out directly, questions at McNamaraOnMoney.com. Again, that's questions at McNamaraOnMoney.com. We do we do answer all those emails that come in and I think oh and uh, yeah podcasts if you miss a show or and you want to catch up just search McNamara on money on your favorite podcast app and you will see us there our pictures and everything mm-hmm. alright that'll do it alright that'll do it have a great weekend everybody thanks for listening thanks for listening all take right. care take care bye bye you can find McNamara on money on all the major podcasting platforms New episodes drop every Monday. Tune in weekly for everything you need to know about making smart financial decisions. Subscribe today so you don't miss a single episode.